Welcome to Africa's Digital Financial Journey, a podcast series that discusses the amazing changes underway across the continent's financial services sector and how technology is being used to widen and deepen financial inclusion from Cairo to the Cape. I'm John Errington, Middle East and Africa editor at The Banker Magazine, and in this episode, recorded remotely, I'm very happy to be joined by Ade Ayayemi, who has been at the forefront of Africa's digital financial journey in his role as Group Chief Executive Officer of Echobank one of the continent's largest lenders. Ade, thank you so much for talking with us today. Thank you, John. It's a pleasure to be with you. So, Ade, you've been at the helm of Ecobank for seven years now, and you're preparing to step down towards the beginning of next year. As you look back, what have been some of the biggest digital financial milestones that you've witnessed during that time? Thank you, John. It's a pleasure to be here. And because I'm stepping down, I'm also uh, retiring from financial, from being a, a banker. It's important to look back through my my career and just give you a, a very simple journey that I think the uh, banking system across our continent has gone through. If you go back 20 years or 25 years ago, as you you look at it, you will see that a simple payment from one person to the other goes through checks that are presented together in the clearinghouse, where people bring those physical checks together for the purpose of exchanging of value. At those times, if you are going to get a check from another bank, it takes five days in Nigeria if it is within the same zone. And if it is uh, regional, it takes 14 days. And if it is what we call upcountry, it takes 21 working days. And now it's important to know where we are coming from to be able to know the distance we've covered in terms of efficiency of our payment infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Today, we have opportunity to be able to make instant payments across the same country instantly irrespective of the geographical location of that country. And I can say the same thing across the African continent, whether it is in Kenya, it is in Ghana, it is in Francophone West Africa, where all of those things are possible because of one, yes, digital technology has enabled those things to happen. But our people also have innovated on, on, in terms of legal infrastructure and agreements that allow those things to happen. If you think through the way that payments could happen 24 by 7 in a place like Nigeria today, is because the market players have come together to have a settlement agreement process that is anchored on law and custom that is then helped by technology. Because technology on itself alone, technology is available everywhere. It's been available for a long time. But that innovation, that development, understanding that payment has to be continuous and enabling that continuity to happen, even in weekends when banks are not open, was as a result of innovation and collaborative agreement. Is then helped by technology that allows communication because payment is sending of information and sending of liquidity. That settlement uh, is something that has come together. And I'm very happy that the banks have come together. So if you then look at the last seven years that we here, which is the core of your question, is the acceleration of the inclusion of more people 
using mobile telephony as a means of servicing them. Now, that mobile telephony as a means of servicing enable people to be able to make payment from the comfort of their homes, but also enable people to receive payment in the comfort of their homes as well, because that notification uh, becomes instant. So trading becomes easier that I've seen, and it is not only in one country, it's across countries as well. Ability to use tokens as a way of sending money uh, from one person to another, so that that money can under be that token can be redeemed into your current account. That token can be redeemed from an ATM. All of those things have become a commonplace. So I'm very happy to see that we've, as uh, EcoBank, we've created a core banking application, upgraded it to be, make it modern and the standard. I have data centers that are in two locations, and then have private cloud that enable all our countries and customers to, to connect to that and implemented systems and applications and processes that allow us to be able to serve our customer the same product in four languages across 33 markets. So whether you are in Timbuktu, whether you are in Dakar, or you are in Mombasa, okay, that crosses the, the, the continent, or you are in Ramadi, or you are in uh, Lilongwe, that goes south, you are downloading the same EcoBank app, you're configuring it to your language, you're configuring it to your country. You don't need to have multiple applications, it's one. And that's that belief that that's the way it should work. And then enable us to be able to make instant payment across all our countries. We can make instant payment across any of our countries today and it's instantly. And that, to me, is a, is a milestone that we, we achieved earlier in my, my joining the, the organization. We also said that we want people to be able to onboard into the banking application uh, in minutes, okay? And we want people that have, if you have a mobile phone, you should have an account. That philosophy, we implemented it in our Express account that enable people to be able to open an Express account and then they can transact and then they can build on that as they go uh, forward into the future. So to me, all of those changes, working with the regulator, working with the fintech developer organization, working with the technologists, but also making sure it's grounded in cooperative agreements and law that ensure that dispute of payment does not happen. Because if those things are not well granted, it just leads to a lack of uh, trust. And that is on payments. But you've seen uh, so many other development that happens in lending as well. Because before, lending is something you need to make an application, go to uh, a bank, submit that application, and then come back in a, uh, in, in a few months' time to see whether it's been granted. But today, in Ghana, in the comfort of your phone, you can request for a loan. That loan can be granted on the basis of your credit rating and the basis of your behavior, and you can start spending that money instantly. Remember, the availability of credit that allows a trader to leverage in the morning and be able to go to market and buy things and return it in the evening and have his margin as his profit is something that has 
changed the nature of trading in our places. And because that is available, of course, most people don't want millions of dollars of loans. They just want it provided it's, it can be available at that instant of time that they can leverage it. That availability at instant of time is something that has become ubiquitous now. It's available in Nigeria, it's available in Ghana, it's available in Kenya, it's available in too many places. And what I see as that begin to uh, permeate our systems and everybody becomes more and more comfortable is something that is a major factor that is going to anchor economic growth, financial inclusion, uh, and also wealth creation as we go forward. I mean, the advances that you've laid out, I mean, they are very, very significant. And just in terms of payments and what we're starting to see with loans as well, where do you see the kind of the next big leaps coming from in terms of what digital financial services are going to achieve in Lome, in Nigeria, across the continent? I mean, where are the sort of the next big kind of leaps going to come from and what are they going to be? I think we are moving towards a period of instantaneity. In other words, that like Coca-Cola advert would say, Coke is at the arm's length of your desire. Okay? We are moving towards a period of instantaneity. And that period of instantaneity means you desire something and you can get it. Fulfillment becomes uh, instant. For that to happen, there's still a couple of things that need to get resolved. You know, remember I said technology is important, but the underlying legal infrastructures and customs and agreements are equally important as well. Yeah. I'm expecting the AFCFTA to become more robust because a lot of people have signed, but I want it to become more robust so that services can cross border uh, very instantly. I expect continuous improvement in technology that will have a high substitution of most of the manual processes that we have today with digital processes. I expect robotic process automation to take hold and allow things to be handled at the speed of technology today rather than the speed of person. I expect those things. I think as we go forward, the people requirement to manage banking institutions will be much lower than what it is today. And a large number of those will be replaced by robotics and robots. Now, that can be said to be challenging for the people that will get replaced. But quite honestly, I'm sure you live in, in London at a time when offices were being replaced by steam engine to power the buses in London. A lot of people will have complained that those horses will have no jobs to do, but the horses still have a lot of jobs to do today. Mm -hmm. So progress, human progress, efficiency, I think is going to be uh, something uh, as, we, as we go forward. The rate of collaboration across multiple players, whether it is financial services, banks, it is fintech, it is mobile network operator, is all other is all supermarkets. I can see the rate of collaboration, okay, across those value chains to start improving and ensuring that people can get services. I can see the idea of financial services, not just banking, but insurance and investment and all of those things co-locating in what people are, are calling a super app where you walk into an airport and the, your app tells you, uh, do you want to take a travel insurance 
and you say yes you take the travel insurance and you can pay for it instantly because all of those things are co-locating on the basis of agreement that has been signed to ensure the delivery of those services i think the idea that is important today of uh, green climate and all of those things i see that becoming another thing that will be because you know honestly there's no reason why the rainforests of Congo and Gabon should be poor if they are the one that is absorbing the carbon of the world. What we need is to be able to figure out how do we ensure that we can monetize that. And it's technology that I believe will be able to come to bear on, on all of those things. So uh, as we go forward, I expect the development in technology, the development in physics, the development in economics, the development in laws, the development in collaboration, the development in government to government trying to work together, all of those things leading to more and more product that is aiming at creating convenience for people and also creating wealth. Indeed. No, well, there's, there's certainly a lot to come. It's going to be interesting to see how, how things develop. Maybe kind of bringing it back a few stages, Ade, I mean, we've talked a lot about the increase in financial inclusion that technology has enabled, and also, as you so rightly put it, the legal and infrastructure that happens around that technology. There's still a lot of work to be done on financial inclusion across large parts of Africa. It seems as if there's still kind of, there are still big technological and infrastructure gaps which do exist I mean, in countries like Nigeria, particularly, but I mean, throughout the continent, what are the sort of keys to sort of reaching this long tail that still don't have the access to the basic payments and the basic infrastructure services, uh, would you say, going forward? I agree with you. We, we have problems that we need to solve and get into the last mile and making sure everybody is included. Some of these issues are not technological because now we need to actually move and, and believe that this thing can be done and therefore must be done. Remember, the problem about vaccine was not technology. When the vaccine was discovered, there are a lot of people that were still having doubts on whether it should be taken. The mm -hmm. speed at which it was discovered was massive. The speed at which it was taken up was sometimes challenging. So I, I think that we need to continue to, along this, making sure that there is a connection and an understanding that we need to be able to have financial inclusion. Finance is a resource that needs to be leveraged by society to create a better environment. And the more and more people that are included, the better. The mm -hmm. idea of savings as a reason to be able to create a better society and a better person in the old age so that we don't have old age poverty, the idea of savings is something that people need to embark. The idea of being able to raise money, to be able to support agriculture in remote areas. So I believe that as we go forward, we need to, we need to have advocacy to convince people that this is critical, it is important, and demonstrate how there's a linkage between financial inclusion, economic growth, and a better life for the, for the people. Where we are, that's why I started by saying it used to take 21 working days to clear a check. Today mm -hmm. is instant. Because sometimes we, we stand where we are, looking into the future of what we must do 
and we forget what we have done that we are standing on top of. The things we've covered is if you tell somebody that 21 days will become instant across the length and breadth of Nigeria in uh, 1988 when I started banking, and the person will tell you, come on, it's not possible. Maybe 21 days will become 20 days, will become 15 days and 10 days. Now, it's instant. If you send money and the guy doesn't receive it in the next minute, he will call you. Where is it? So the problem we have now is easier to solve. We need to collaborate more. We need to understand the distinction between the responsibility of the last mile and the responsibility of the big banks and allow everybody to collaborate and bring it. There are things that need to be done, no question about that, but I believe that we have the fundamentals in place, both in terms of maths, in terms of uh, science and physics and economics and co, that we can bring all of this together to get more people included. Absolutely. I mean, and when we see what things were like, as you say, 20 years ago, I mean, where we are now is quite extraordinary. So, I mean, you've mentioned the payments aspect quite a lot. I mean, and just how these are sort of instantaneous now and they can move across borders very, very quickly. Still, the remittances part of the pie within, I mean, going into African countries, it seems if there still is quite a big challenge with reaching a number of folk. And I mean, also the World Bank has said that I think it costs more to send on average $200 from outside Sub-Saharan Africa to Sub-Saharan Africa than any other region in the world. What are the sort of remaining impediments to this and sort of what's making it so expensive? And also what's the sort of the process ahead for making this more affordable? I always like to say Technology is important, but it's not the key issue. If you think about it, what does it take to do remittance? It is a message plus liquidity. Today, you and I, we're having a conversation now, which means we can have instant messaging. Then the next question is, where is the money? There's a question of liquidity. Most liquidity takes place almost instantly today, by the way. So to do remittance, we should... Then it now comes to what are the rules in the various countries on the flow of money from point A to point B. How do we make sure that we allow the, the rules that we put in place to be risk appropriate? If somebody is sending $100, do we want to go through the same rule as if the person is sending a million dollars? Because I think some of the challenges we are having today is as a result of that. Because $100 can be sent instantly. I mean, I work for a bank where money can be sent instantly from point A to point B. Mm -hmm. And the charges of $200 is not what we, we charge, for sure. It's not, it's not what we charge, I, I know that. But we need to make that available at the point of origination. So you want to, you want to send money from UK, you want to send to Nigeria. The rules in Nigeria needs to ensure that that process is seamless. We put a lot of processes around small payments today that is the friction that is, uh, that is creating delays and costs. And I think all of us need to work uh, towards that. It's no longer technology, okay? Because the technology work is done, by and large, from my point of view, we now need to start leveraging that technology, put product on top of it, and be able to start sending, making that remittance. It's something that 
I believe it is solvable uh, very, very quickly because the groundwork to make it happen already exists. Indeed. I mean, one of the things we wrote on this subject um, earlier in the year was about the rise that in cryptocurrencies, I mean, across much of Africa, but particularly in places like Nigeria and Kenya. And what we found was that people are kind of investing in crypto as a speculative asset as they are all around the world trying to, to get rich quick. But at the same time, we found also that people were using crypto in different ways. They were using it in some ways as a remittance tool to get sort of like around cross-border sort of controls on the amount of currency. And they were trying to use it as a different uh, and a cheaper method. And also they were using cryptocurrencies as also something for e-commerce. If you are buying something from China or from another market, it seems that people are using cryptocurrencies to sort of pay for goods rather than convert their local currency into dollars and then into another currency. And this seemed to be growing in popularity. I'm just wondering how you see the rise of cryptocurrency across Africa, the positives and the negatives, and also how governments should be approaching this new trend. If people today, there are a lot of people that want to save, prefer to save in crypto rather than the currency of their country. Why is that? It's because the currency of their country is depreciating and they are seeing loss of wealth. Mm -hmm. As a rational economic uh, agent, they try to figure out how to defend themselves. If, if you have a large money, you buy land and you buy a house. You say that is a hedge. If you have small money, what do you buy? Okay, then they go and say, well, crypto is an... So the problem needs to be solved by having an economic arrangement where the prices of those currencies where people want to save is stable over time. That stability of prices over time is a question of inflation. Mm -hmm. If inflation is not there, everybody, nobody will want to go and look for to solve a problem that does not exist. So we need to figure out why the problem is there and try to solve the problem fundamentally as an economic management competent economic management across our countries. Nobody is going to say, stay in dollar and say, listen, you know, I'm going to buy crypto because I want to use it to save. You can buy it for speculative reason as an asset class, but you're not going to buy it because I don't want to save my money in dollar. Uh, by the way, I'm sure you guys are working very hard to make sure that a pound doesn't get to that uh, state as well. So, we're doing our it's, best, but watch this yeah, space. Yeah, I, think, well, I think we are making, you, you, you guys are making the progress to make sure we are not in the same boat. So it, it is important to solve that. Now, having said that, what I, as a technology, it's a very innovative technology. You have distributed ledger where things can be immutable and therefore is traceable. That traceability gives accountability to people that are using it. And I think what the government should do and the regulator should do is to seek to understand and enable. If, you, if they seek to understand what is good and, and then they enable it, okay, then it, it's, it's good for society because we are then making progress rather than saying we are not. I mean, of course, the first set of flights that was done by the Wright brothers, you know, it was difficult to put a human being in that stuff that they make to fly, right? But we could have made law against it at that time. I would not have planes today. 
So we need to, as there are innovations, we need to seek to understand what it can do and see how we can leverage it and how we can put control around it. I'm a follower of Formula One. The best performing car is the car not only that has acceleration, but has brake. And the regulation is the brake. So once we, we cannot say it doesn't exist. It, it exists today. The genie is out of the bottle. We cannot say there's no use. There is use. People have found it. We need to see how can we regulate it so that it doesn't create a high volatility that destroys people's savings. Because when savings are destroyed, society gets destroyed. So that is what we need to do. But the fundamental issue around is being used to circumvent certain controls. We need to make sure the need for those controls are removed by competent economic management. Mm -hmm. And I mean, one of the one of the responses from regulators thus far has also been the rise of central bank digital currencies, CBDCs, which it's been launched in Nigeria, and there are a number of um, pilot schemes which are up across um, around Africa. Do you see these kind of schemes? I mean, they they haven't sort of had widespread traction yet, but do you see such kind of schemes from from governments maybe taking some of the sting from cryptocurrencies and fulfilling some of the needs that people are looking for with cryptocurrencies? We used to issue the currency in cowries. Now we issue it in uh, coins. Then we start issuing it in paper. And we want to issue it in digital form. Is it the same currency okay, that you, you're doing? You're just making it convenient and easier. We've been operating digital currencies for a very long time. As soon as we allow people to open current account that has a balance in it, and they can transfer that balance with a stroke, uh, with a keystroke of either their phone. So those things have been there. Now, the question of central banks making it easier, of course, it's a, it's a progress. We need to be sure. Is this, how does the central bank intend to distribute the currency it issues? Is the central bank intending for everybody to open an account with central bank and therefore their, every citizen can have a digital currency that is paid to central bank? Is that what they intend to do? If they intend to do that, it's always good to talk about the liability side of the balance sheet. But the asset side of the balance sheet, does that mean the central bank will also be giving loans to the market? Because remember, banks are financial intermediaries. So those things need to get... I'm for progress, I'm for innovation, but I want to make sure it's built on sound economics because it's easy to, for me to say, you know, everybody should open an account with central bank because it is easy in the digital world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. So all savings move to central bank. Does all loans move to central bank? So because people need to understand that that's the question that I will ask people. If all savings move to central bank, do all loans move to central bank? If all loans move to central bank, then how easy will it be for an entrepreneur, as an SME, to have financial inclusion in terms of getting loans? And by the way, because the borrower is also the shareholder, okay? The borrower is an is a SME person, but is the shareholder that puts government in power, okay? Because they vote. Is there a moral hazard that the person will not pay? Because we need to understand what problems are we trying to solve. If it's efficiency, I'm supportive. We solve efficiency problem, 
we can dispute money. If the question of getting money to, if government wants to make payment to certain parts of society and they want to make it instantly and you can go to them, I support. That is good. If it's for the idea that financial intermediary is not necessary in the market economy, financial intermediary is necessary. In a non-market economy, maybe not. In a market economy, it is. We should use the solution to improve what we have today and ensure that it creates better value, better opportunity for people. But there is a difference between digital currency issued by the central bank from cryptocurrency that is in the private space. Of course. They, they don't serve the same purpose. They can coexist, uh, and I have no problem with that. They can coexist. But the idea that we all need either or, no, they cannot, they cannot, co they cannot coexist. And innovation is always good. You've mentioned uh, the African continental free trade area, which is something that we've discussed before, I mean, which is now up and running. It's obviously very, very early stages, and a lot of the sort of protocols are still being worked out. What do governments and also particularly banks need to really make um, this project, this grand project, a success, would you say? What are the sort of the big priorities that they need to focus on in the next three to five years, would you say? A continental free trade area, which is what Africa is, for it to work, now we have the law, we have the uh, agreements, and uh, we are signing it, we are putting it together. We need to also assure the populace that it is not going to lead to few big countries getting all the benefits and a lot of poor countries not able to move from their country of location to where the jobs are. Mm -hmm. We need to figure out how to harness the benefits of trade and share it equitably among some people that may not be able to participate in the trade origin. If it only goes to big countries that has efficiency in terms of productivity, and then some people are producers of raw materials, and some countries are producers of finished goods, and then the finished goods go back to those countries, and then those countries are in perpetual poverty, they will overthrow the government that took them to continental free trade agreement. Mm -hmm. So we need to make sure that the benefits as a continent and as people, that the benefit is shared equitably. We need to make sure that free trade agreement and free trade area requires a lot of freedom, mobility for trade, but also mobility of people and mobility of capital. And those things, we're still at the elementary stage that we need to, to deal with. The idea of some countries can close their border in a free trade area is anathema. And we need to start getting used to, once you enter in a free trade area, there are certain norms that you need to, because that is how we'll be able to, for somebody that is in uh, Kenya, we know that a Kenya can produce tea or East Africa can produce tea for the whole of Africa. And the rest of us don't need to start developing tea production. But as COVID has taught us, when we outsource, manufacturing of certain drugs to one country in the world and that country when there was COVID say okay no export until my own all my citizens are served that 
was problematic. And people learned a lesson from that, and they can't unlearn it. So we need to ensure that as we go forward, for people to specialize, we require that whatever the outcome is shared equitably across others. And that's how we can honestly uh, get ourselves uh, into a much uh, better place. And you can see Airbus is manufactured in France, but the parts are distributed across the whole of Europe. Then you can call it Europe Airbus. But if Airbus is only manufactured in Germany and France, and you tell Spain and others that it is our Airbus, they will tell you it's your Airbus. And all of that has nothing to do with technology, but the ground rules, the agreement that we enable this trade to flow. And the conscience of people is critical. Now, the technology to enable that to happen, that technology exists today. I buy things from Amazon, and it gets delivered at my doorstep. Mm-hmm. So I can as well buy from uh, Timbuktu, I can buy from Ilungwe, I can use uh, Medicals to buy from Maputo. Technology itself exists today. We just need to make sure that it, it is easier for these things to, to happen. And people, the benefit is shared. And I keep saying that because when I talk to uh, development financial partners, I told them that it is okay to advise us around this. But if you are thinking about how to support us financially, make sure the benefit goes to the people that are giving up. If it doesn't go to them, then the government will change. This comes back to the point that you made originally about the digital financial journey that's come thus far. On the one hand, it was the technology, which undoubtedly was the method which was used to kind of improve payments improve inclusivity, but technology on its own, without the structures around it, regulatory infrastructure, political structures, just won't do the job. Yeah, it won't won't do the job, because if people repudiate receipts on the basis of, show me the paper, then from that point, they show me the paper, show me where I, I wrote it. If the legal infrastructure does not allow digital evidence, nobody's going to be sending money digitally. So those things are, because I always want to make sure that when we talk about development and innovation, it is not only a physics item, okay? It's a physics item, it's a legal item, it's an economics item, it's a governance item, it's a sociology item. Because all of those things need to come together for people to say, we agree that if I see an SMS on my phone that has been paid, I accept and believe I've been paid. And if I show that SMS to my banker, that is the SMS you sent to me, the banker will not say, show me where I signed. Ade, we've had quite a long conversation and we're coming to the end of our time together. The question that I always ask about the future of Africa's digital financial journey is who are going to be the next drivers of the next wave of digitization and financial inclusion and deepening financial inclusion across Africa? Is it going to be the bank's Is it going to be the telcos? Is it going to be fintechs? A combination thereof? It'd be great to get your thoughts on on who are going to be the ones who are going to be driving this change going forward. I think it's going to be the consumers who today Mm -hmm. are seeing what they experience in their social media, the instantaneity they experience in social media, the information they can get that is instant. And they're going to start demanding in every sphere of their life that that instantaneity is there. They're going to demand it in banking. 
they're going to demand it in insurance. And that will then ensure that the people, the critical agents of supply of those services are forced to come together and innovate together and cooperate together. And understand that the fintechs is an agent in the delivery of financial services. The bank is an agent in delivery of financial services. The insurance company is an agent in enabling risks to be mitigated. I think that we will all be forced to collaborate and let each person put their best asset forward in the delivery of the services because the consumers of financial services will start demanding it. They will demand instantaneity. And anything that is short, they will believe is short. And remember, the movement happens because of gaps in markets between mm -hmm. what people want and what is supplied. There was no problem when every bookshop is open and put on the high streets and expect me to come and browse the books there and buy the books there. But it's not all of us that can go to those high streets. Amazon spotted the gap and they built a solution around that gap. The banks, the financial services, and everybody need to understand that instantaneity is a rational demand by the consumer of financial services. And bind together, everybody coming up with their best assets in the process of forming a chain to deliver that efficiently. That is what will continue to push all of us to ensure that instead of, because, you know, without the risk of losing your market share and market opportunity, a company can dilly-dally, a firm can dilly-dally, an industry can dilly-dally. At the risk of losing that, the industry, the firm, and the, the countries will not have the opportunity. Because remember that ultimately, if we don't bridge this gap, it can be bridged by any of the big techs from outside. And people understand that. And therefore, our people also, our, our service, financial services, people, our companies, and everybody needs to understand that there is, we are not the only game in town. There are many games in town. Therefore, we need to improve our game so that it's attractive to the people that want to demand it. That's a good note to end on, just continually focusing on the consumer and what he or she wants and how that's filled by whichever company. Ade, thank you so much for joining us today and thank you so much for sharing all of your thoughts. It's always wonderful to talk to you. Thank you so much for today. Thanks, John. It was a pleasure. Thank you for listening to Africa's Digital Financial Journey, a monthly podcast from The Banker magazine. You can listen to this and other episodes in this series on thebanker.com, Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you access your podcasts. If you have any questions or comments about what you've heard, or if you'd like to help me narrate Africa's Digital Financial Journey, do get in touch at john.everington.ft.com.